There's something not right. I feel cold. So we pick up where we left off on Dagobah. Uh, there's in in the midst of Luke's force training. There is some kind of weird trial in a cave off to the side where uh, Yoda is warning Luke that he need only bring his instinct within. Uh, Luke uh, instead, of course, brings in his weapons and he meets some kind of strange specter in the form of Darth Vader. And he fights this weird figment of Darth Vader and he chops off his head in the process. The, the helmet drops to the ground and explodes, exposing his own face in Darth Vader's helmet. And this freaks out Luke in some form of kind of existential way. Ooh, symbolism. Meanwhile, over on the Imperial Star Destroyer, uh, Darth Vader has recruited a league of extraordinary bounty hunters, all very grisly looking, to track down uh, Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon in general. He has also uh, instructed his uh, his uh, troops to, to search for the Falcon as well, and uh, Admirable uh, Nita is uh, kind of manning that, op- that, uh, that operation, but it's not going very well. And so Captain Solo decides, uh, because one part of his ship isn't working, that he is going to just attach himself to the side of the Star Destroyer, because that's the only way he can think of evading uh, their just inevitable capture, and then exits the scene by getting away in uh, amongst the other garbage. So the, the hunk of junk really becomes a hunk of junk. <laughs> and Captain Nita has to go face Vader as he said he would. And this, of course, results in him getting choked to death, as is always the case when you disappoint Lord Vader. Um, uh, so he hires a new guy and uh, they decide that the best place to, to seek refuge and also repair the Falcon is Cloud City and with this mysterious guy named Lando. Yes, and so back on Dagobah, Luke is lifting some rocks and some crates, and Yoda's getting frustrated with them. Uh, We go back to our other friends on Cloud City, and they get to meet this character, Lando, and Lando seems upset at first to see them, but then we quickly learn that uh, he's happy to see Han. And how perfect is it that uh, the podcast has has lined up such that we are meeting Lando for the first time in our reviewing of the movies, just as the movie Solo is hitting theaters in a couple of days and Lando Calrissian is becoming this pop cultural icon again, we get this incredible description of who the character is. This is interesting. Lando. Lando system? Lando's not a system. He's a man. Lando Calrissian. This card player, gambler scoundrel you'd like him yeah no it really is well timed for this certain kind of scenario that we're in right now where we're able to kind of really see lando and han seeing each other after a while their dialogue means a little bit more kind of the back and forth han's wondering well is he still going to be pissed off at me and so it kind of lets you to believe like maybe they didn't feel like end off in the best circumstances the the card game with the falcon maybe that was the last time they saw each other maybe it wasn't uh, and maybe things were a little bit sour even beyond that point. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, definitely well-timed. Well, there are some like direct uh, references to some kind of very specific altercation that Han and Lando must have had. Now, whether or not this movie Solo is going to address those specifically, uh, I mean, it kind of seems like they want to do that. But like when, when Han says a line like, uh, he's got no love for the Empire, I can tell you that. Like, that's that's so compelling i want to see that unpacked i want to know more about what that means 
I just see that as him being a smuggler and someone who is a rebel at heart and isn't necessarily going to be like remotely having a problem with, uh, I guess, harboring fugitives of the Empire. I think that's kind of more of where I see it from. I don't necessarily see it as, oh, Lando has major hate on for the Empire, although I'm sure he would. But uh, that's no, I disagree. I, I, I didn't see it that way. That's not that's not how I interpreted it. I really saw it as uh, th- this is personal. It felt personal to me. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Well, one thing we didn't mention in the summary is what I was ready to say was the X-wing. And so after Yoda and Luke they lift the the rocks and the boxes, then Yoda lifts an X-wing out of the swamp. <laughs> yeah, I think the MVP of that moment was John Williams. Yeah. But let's face it, John Williams is the MVP of a lot of moments with Star Wars. It really stood out to me uh, more so than usual, and I, I don't discredit John Williams at all, but part of the score is that it blends in, and in that particular moment, all I could think was, this crescendo is spectacular. The moment mm. itself had to be mesmerizing for fans like because that's the i mean i I keep saying this week after week like oh this is the first time we've seen the force do that this is the first time we've seen the force do this it does feel like a new thing each time and that particular one especially so well that's the case though the thing is the force is constantly changing we see it do something new in literally every single movie except for maybe solo because we haven't seen solo yet but that will be different very very soon (laughs) but that's the, the way it goes. Just because The Last Jedi had kind of a big change, a lot of people were kind of against that. But I think overall, the Force is constantly changing. And this is one of those huge milestones, one of the huge steps where you see the Force, you're able to, to grab a lightsaber from a foot or so away. You're able to choke a guy out from a distance. Uh, you're able to, you know, sh- sh- shoot, uh, shoot and blow up this giant space station that looks like a moon just by using your senses as opposed to machines. But this is something that's physically uh, just like a spectacle to see. It's, it's just mesmerizing to look at. So I, I wonder if you, you had the same instinct as I when, previous to the lifting of the X-Wing fighter, uh, Luke says something about how, uh, he says, Master, moving stones around is one thing. This is totally different. And he's talking about how stones are so much smaller than the X-Wing. Uh, does it occur to you that moving around stones is exactly Ray's big force moment in The Last Jedi? Well, yeah, specifically. Oh, definitely. Because it's funny because th- he's just talking about moving around stones as kind of trivial and like that's that's low rent and not a big deal. Like that's one thing, but like Ray moving around stones is no small deal. Well, no, that's true, I guess, because it's a lot of stones and it's at a key, key time. But no, they make fun of it in The Last Jedi about how moving rocks isn't that really a big deal and how, but that is part of like kind of the force training and, and Luke mocks that a bit or Luke or Ray, one or two or both of them. But no, it, it's definitely meant to be paralleled there. And there's also the really great parallels of the X-Wing and how you just assume that when Luke returns that he he raised the X-Wing out of the water and we're like, oh, how come we don't get to see that? Well, it's because he didn't actually do it. He's still back on Octu. But uh, it, right. it, it, there are definitely some great parallels between The Last Jedi Empire and more and more than I actually thought um, after seeing The Last Jedi a bunch of times recently and analyzing Empire so closely this time. You've been You've been studying The Last Jedi? Well, yeah, The Last Jedi, I mean, I absolutely loved it. I mean, it's 
I say it's one of my favorites, but they're also they're all right up there. But <laughs> I know it's it's so ridiculous. But no, there yeah. was uh, it, the Last Jedi has for me some of the greatest moments in all of Star Wars. Uh, so I mean, as an overall movie, I I would put it probably around fourth or fifth. But when it comes to top Star Wars moments, it may have like three of the top ten Star Wars moments. So like it, it definitely has some uh, a special place for me and I, I do love the parallels between it and empire and uh, there's more and more just the watching them in 20s has really allowed me to see uh, some of the deeper parallels it's nice and isn't it interesting that last jedi is easily one of the more uh polarizing of star wars movies and empire strikes back is by and large the most popular critically of all the star wars movies and they share so many uh sequences in common well Empire Strikes Back, I mean, I was it's not like I can say I was alive back then, but it wasn't as, like, golden as it is today when it first released. I mean, yes, it was considered a successful sequel. Uh, it was well-liked, obviously, but it wasn't considered, like, holy shit, we, this is like a Godfather Part Two sort of moment, obviously, but you know what I mean in terms of... Like right. right away, right away, you know it's like this is something that's even better than the first one we got. The jury was still out on it, and that's the reason why I want to keep the jury out on the Last Jedi because it has so many amazing moments that I think, with the help of Episode Nine, kind of wrapping up the the, the saga and the trilogy itself, I think Episode Eight is going to age really, really well. I think so too, but I find it hard to imagine, and I'm not saying you're wrong, but I just find it impossible to imagine that Empire Strikes Back wasn't immediately lauded because it had all of the spectacular visuals of its predecessor, which melted minds, but it looked that much better. It had uh, you know, a way bigger budget, and it was written by a professional. Yeah, but it's about what changes to what you know. And at that point, all it was was additions to something that people already loved. And so, of course, you're going to have people who are going to revolt. And you didn't have the same sort of forms and mediums. And like I said, I wasn't alive. But the whole point is, when you have a sequel to one movie, it's very, very different than having a sequel to like eight other movies in, in a, or seven other movies in part of like a series. And I think The Last Jedi n needs time before yep. people can judge it. That's that's my main point that I'm going for. <laughs> so I, I think this is one of the more artful 20s in all of Star Wars. I remember being a kid and watching this thing where he goes into the cave and Vader is there and then it's it's really Luke and he gets decapitated. When I was a little kid, that went way over my head. And oh, yeah. Even still, I'm not sure I totally have a, a perfect understanding of what's going on in there. No, and I don't even really either. It's one of those kind of just sort of meta moments where... You just kind of have to assume it's relying on, like, it's like a cautionary tale. Like, don't go down the dark path. Uh, it's like going into a dark cave. He's seeing someone who he could turn into. This is what, um, this is the path of fear leading to anger, anger leading to hate. Um, so I, I definitely think that it's just the cautionary tale sort of moment. And it's not lost on the fact that afterwards, um, Luke develops even more and then has the fight with vader specifically uh it just it adds a little bit more weight to the fact of the obsession and the potential for him turning to the dark side in the end no i i get i get the whole thing about how if you use your your aggression it's going to make you uh, yeah dark the way vader is dark i see the parallel there but is it more literal than that like is this an allusion to the fact that luke and vader are one in the same like the fact that 
I mean, because really, Luke has had no interactions with Vader thus far, and we haven't had Vader try and recruit Luke yet. That's yet to happen. So uh, is this setting us up for the uh, interchanges they're about to have in 40 minutes time? Like... Uh, yeah, well, I, th- I think so. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's the big thing here. I just I see it as it's a trial of the force. That's really all it is. Is that uh, the force is deciding? Okay, this is something that Luke needs to get past, and because Dagobah is a force nexus, it's strong with the dark side, and so it makes sense for the experience of the force vision, or however you want to call it, that Luke experiences to be very dark and dire. Uh, but I just mm. see it, it as like fo- foreshadowing for the fight that we're about to see and how he's going to learn that he has Vader in him. Um, but I, I think, yeah, it's, it's just that cautionary tale of you. This is what you have inside of you and you could become this one day. But I think that's just more of kind of like a Jedi lesson. And the fact that it happens on Dagobah, uh, that's why it's got such a dark side and dark vibe to it. And... As usual, Yoda is always correct. I mean, he tells Luke to go into the cave unarmed. I'm not sure what Luke would have done if he met face-to-face with, with <laughs> Vader unarmed. No um, idea. Even if, even if it's just a simulation, I don't know if it would have been different. Like, if he if he didn't bring his weapons into the cave, would he not have come face-to-face with a Vader simulation? I don't know. But he disobeys Yoda. He brings his weapons. And then uh, shortly thereafter, uh, Yoda advises he not leave. He has to stay and finish his training first. And sure enough... Uh, Luke leaves for good intentions. He, you know, he has, he knows he has to help his friends, but he leaves uh, against uh, Yoda's recommendations, and he fights Vader against Yoda's recommendations from a place of aggression and anger, and he loses that fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it's. I think it's definitely kind of going along those lines, and I think Yoda in that circumstance, because the future, you know, it's always clouded just sees the fact that I mean, Luke's going to get annihilated by Vader if he has to go up against him. So he would just hope that, I mean, Yoda's not going to bank on Vader showing him mercy. Let me put it that way. So right. the, th- the thought of him going after, it is a suicide mission in Yoda's mind, I think. That's how he sees it. What does Luke mean when he says, uh, I, there's something wrong, I feel cold? When he feels cold, is this like, this is a very rare example of a time where we hear some kind of physiological, tactile description of what a force sensation is. That's a good um, point. And I mean, I think it's a, it's a bad inkling, you know, it's like, it's, it's not a good Spidey sense. No, what's really funny is in The Last Jedi, the way Luke mocks Rey with like the leaf thing and it's like, like reach out with the, and then she reaches out with her hands. And so he gets back at her by literally uh, just touching her hand with the leaf. Oh, I feel it. I feel it. (laughs) Uh, I I think that's kind of just kind of funny in the sense where. Luke right here literally feels the force. It's not something yeah. to really be made fun of. No one makes fun of this moment. Uh, but yeah, I guess it's just the cold of evil um, and the force kind of just sneaking up on him. So uh, in terms of quotes for this 20, we have two extremely quotable characters who are fleeting members of the Star Wars uh, family. They're not really reoccurring, uh, Yoda and Lando, but both of them say a lot of great things and in they, very different ways. They sure do. There's a lot of really great Yoda ones. That place... Is strong with the dark side of the force a domain of evil it is in you must go <laughs> is he talking about those force nexuses you keep bringing up does he mean specifically this cave is strong with the force yep yeah, and so Dago is an overall is strong with the force but uh, this specific area it's like kind of that cave in octu that cave that ray ends up in where she looks into the the mirror of a million versions of her 
that's another example of how the Last Jedi uh, mirrors the artfulness of of Empire Strikes Back. There's this yep. weird, like, kind of symbolic, confusing, almost trippy sequence in the middle of the person's training. Yeah, no, it's it's supposed to be kind of like one of those eye-opening key key points. Uh, I really thought she was going to have to face something down there um, because, I mean, Luke had to face kind of a a theoretical Vader. I expected her to actually, I actually thought she was going to end up facing a real monster down there. Uh, So I I was a little disappointed with that scene in The Last Jedi just because I was so expecting a sea monster. Mm. But... But uh, I mean, it, it was it was still a cool scene, and it uh, it led well into the scenes with Kylo, adding extra emotion there. Now we did hear our essential Yoda quote in this twenty. Yes. All right, I'll give it a try. No, try not. Do or do not. There is no try. He had a couple of other quotes that are. I, I love this one because it's so it's wise, but it's also adorable. Uh, and it's when uh, Luke is arguing over the size of the X-Wing is too much for him to lift using the Force. He says, size it matters is. not. Look at me. Judge me by my size, do you? And that's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, no, it really is. It's one that is just like, seriously, <laughs> how cynical do you have to be? And in the circumstance, uh, that's all Yoda sees. He just sees this hot-headed person who just cannot be patient. And that's all you need to be. Uh, there's a few other great ones. Uh only what you take with you from Yoda, uh, your weapons, you will not need them. Uh, just like such calm, great lines. Um, no, no different. Only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned. Yeah. I think that's, I really uh, sat with that quote for a few minutes too. You yeah. must unlearn what you have learned because like that is really describing how the force is a totally other plane. Like, stop mm-hmm. trying to understand it with your current brain. Let's start at zero. It, it's funny, because for me, all I see with that is beginner's mind. It's a concept in entrepreneurship where, oh, really? you, where you have to essentially unlearn what you have learned. And I always like the parallel with that. Easy yeah, way to remember amazing. it for tests. Yoda um, also has a, a really, like, intense monologue where he, again, describes what the Force is. And this isn't the first time the viewer is learning what the Force is, but it's nice to hear it reinforced by somebody so brilliant. For my ally is the Force, and the powerful ally it is. Life creates it, makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you. I loved him talking about human flesh as crude matter. I know, man. And just like poking at Luke and it's... Everything that comes out of his mouth is gold. And um, the line right after, like the back and forth is, um, I don't, I don't believe it. And Luke, that is why you fail. That is why you fail. Yoda, that's why you fail, yeah. Oh, it's so dark and heavy. But it's so true. It just goes back on the fact that Luke's pessimism and his inability to to forget everything that he's learned. It's, yes. It's the one thing that holds him back. And I guess letting go and the fact that he goes after his friends as opposed to just letting things go their natural course. Uh, Yoda doesn't expect him to come back from it, but fortunately he does. That's why he's the but greatest. But it, kind of, it kind of seems like Yoda's solution is never interfere and i don't know if that's heroic no i wouldn't say it's necessarily heroic either uh i think yoda views it as 
I remember when we interfered way, way, way too much uh, a few decades back, and look what happened. Right. So I think that's partially where it is. It's a bit of a cautionary, and he sees, well, Luke is potentially the last opportunity. And if he's telling me right now that Leia is gonna go is dying is gonna die right now unless he goes and saves her, well, I don't want her to him to go and save her because then there's literally no hope left. And mm. it, under under those circumstances, if he goes off, then great, the Jedi are absolutely gone. But if he can stay here, there's a chance that I can survive, and they can stay out of this war, and then linger, live on beyond that. And so I think it's a preservation tactic as well for Yoda, as he knows that it's Luke's last opportunity. It really is. Now, when uh, Luke marches off all pissy pants, you ask the impossible, he can't possibly lift the X-Wing out of the swamp. And then Yoda, of course, proves that you can by, by doing it. Is it really the best storytelling to have him prove the importance of faith by, by showing that it can be done? Like, he needs to, to demonstrate to Luke that it can be done, which is not really the faith of which he speaks in reference to the Force. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point, but I think that's the whole thing is Yoda's just saying to him, you like if you were ready, you would have been able to lift it out yourself. And the fact that Yoda has to do it for him, it's him like reluctantly doing it, but saying like but the fact that I'm doing this kid is purely proof that you should not be going. You aren't ready to leave. Mm. Uh, and so that's that's really I see it as a moment of just defeated disappointment as a teacher from Yoda where He's obviously willing to do it because he, Luke's made his final decision, but he knows that it's not good for Luke's learning in the long run. Now, all of that uh, monologuing that is eloquent and careful and at times poetic. On the other hand, we have quotes like, you slimy double-crossing, no-good swindler. I From know. Lando to Han Solo, <laughs> faking him out. You've got a lot of guts coming here after what you pulled. I mean, he's, what did he? What did he pull? I know. Well, and then he calls him the old pirate. I love that line. Uh, How you doing, you old pirate? I, that's one I of my know. favorite lines. It's so just smooth, smoothie as as Han would call Lando, the old smoothie. <laughs> Hello, what have we here? Welcome. I'm Lando Calrissian. I'm the administrator of this facility. And who might you be? Leia. Welcome, Leia. All right, all right. You old smoothie. Now, is is Leia warm to Lando at first? I mean, she's a little bit skeptical of him, and then later on she finds him to be completely obnoxious. But in this moment where 3PO says he seems quite friendly, and she's like, yeah. I is see she it. willing I, to, to like Lando? I see it more as she just sees another Han Solo. She's just like, oh, shit. Seriously, of course his friend is just him but with a cape and (laughs) and more extravagant and flamboyant right and and i guess i think that's just the way she sees it it's just it's another um no good half-witted except not scruffy looking um no very smooth and suave looking very pretty boy but he was initially described and i kind of forgot that the very first description of lando was that he was a gambler Mm mm-hmm and then yep. they later talk about how he won the Falcon from Lando Fair and Square. Like, it's pretty clear that it was gambling that exchanged this ship. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think they even say it uh, at some point directly uh, that it's acquired from a game of cards. I think we even yeah. talked about that at one point. So, yeah. 
Uh, there's another great one. Uh, you know that ship saved my life quite a few times. She's the fastest yeah. hunk of junk in the galaxy. <laughs> now, it's kind of interesting because, like, I, I know we, we see in Solo trailers uh, the odd still of how when Lando owned the ship, it was much more pimped up and much more swag. But on the outside, a Falcon is a Falcon, and it doesn't... Other than the fact that it's um, indefensibly fast and a great uh, piece of machinery... It's not the sports car that you expect of Lando Calrissian. No, that's fair. It's interestingly more of, uh, I guess, like a luxury vehicle, uh, or not even really, more like a like a Hummer, one that has luxury features, but is built like a beast. Isn't built to yeah. look pretty, but is built to get the job done. Right, and he was a smuggler himself. Yeah, so I mean, he he was able to make it as pretty as possible. But he still needed the cargo space to be able to make the money to even afford the Falcon. Now, I want to talk about uh, either Captain or Admiral Nita, who, as soon as he says... I shall assume full responsibility for losing them and apologize to Lord Vader. Meanwhile, continue to scan the area. I think I said out loud, oh boy. Like, (laughs) how does he not know where this is leading? Uh, I really don't know. I think he's just trying to be, you know, brave and thinks he can have a conversation that's remotely reasonable with Vader, even though that's just straight up not happening. <laughs> yeah. I found the guy who succeeded him to look too much like him. Like, I was confused. Like, wait a second, didn't he just kill that guy? That's, I think, supposed to be the point. The fact that they're just... Oh, like, interchangeable. They're just dispendable. They're interchangeable. There's a different one. They change the ranking mid-sentence because they kill one of them. I mean, they're like green toy soldiers almost. Now, what do you think of Cloud City? Do you have a fondness for Cloud City? Uh, I do, but before that, I wanted to ask you uh, specifically a trivia question. Okay. Uh, so for a Padawan question, let's, we can exchange those now. Uh, what does Lando mine? Oh, shoot. I mean, some kind of gas. That's all I can say. Okay, that's fair enough. It's Tabana gas. Tabana, what is Tabana gas? I don't know. Some kind of gas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll give you my Padawan question. What part of the galaxy are Han and Leia and the rest of the crew in when they set their flight path for Bespin? They are in... The Anoet system. The Anoet system. And I had to look up how to spell it. You, so you just know that from from memory because you're a genius. No, just because it's... <laughs> well, no, when you watch something in 20-minute increments, you're able to really pick up the small details. Well, and... A lot of stuff is really, really mumbled in these movies, I find. Yeah, but I find, like, if you've seen it so many times and you're able to kind of listen closer on the lines that you maybe don't know what they're going to say next... Right, uh, because you're so able to frequently be able to say what they're going to say next. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a it's a little bit easier to pick out the ones that are new to you or the ones that are, I guess, more trivia based kind of style questions because you either know them off by heart or you're like, oh, I wonder what they're going to say next. You you already kind of touched on what my night question is, which has to do with how they escape via the the garbage uh, disposal by the by the Empire. Uh, I did find it hilarious phraseology. That Han was like, uh, assuming they follow standard Imperial procedures before going to light speed, they'll have to dump their garbage and we'll just float away. I just found that to be so silly. Well, he was an Imperial, so I guess he would know that, but it was a little weird the way he said it. 
No, I didn't have a problem with it at all. I just found it funny, like to think that the Empire, this big haunting force, this military that is constantly trying to kill all our heroes, has like uh, an instated garbage disposal policy. It's yeah. It's so silly. It, it is kind of funny when Darth Vader has his like meditation chamber rules and there's the garbage policy and I'm sure they have a green policy on the Death Star to make sure that they recycle. <laughs> and hey, this is kind of uh, some Imperial garbage system redemption for, for Han and, and Leia and Chewie because involving themselves with the garbage system on the Death Star was a huge no-no in the previous movie, but it worked this time. It did. It definitely worked in their favor here. I'm sure that was intentional. <laughs> Tell me about how you feel about Bespin. Bespin, I mean, I've never had a huge love for Bespin in Cloud City. Uh, I always just, because I mean, the hallways were pretty boring. Uh, the giant uh, pit that Luke and Vader fight over that Luke slides down is awesome. That is super cool. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I think that's really the only part that... I really loved about Bespin and Cloud City. I mean, in theory, it's really cool, but we don't get to see enough of it. I mean, if we got to see more of it, maybe, but it's kind of like a small, higher in the sky Coruscant. So, well, exactly. And in fact, I think this is the first time we've seen any kind of territory in Star Wars that isn't a wasteland. Yeah, I guess that's true. Good point. Other than the Death Star, uh, which is the size of a small moon. But yeah, well, it's a good man point. And it's a man-made. It's a space station. Like, this is the first yeah. civilized territory. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. That's really interesting. I was always really, really fond of, of Cloud City. I just thought the idea of it's really cool. And it's also very clean. Like, it looks like a hotel or, yeah. like, some kind of weird rehab. Because it's just everything is, like, really perfect and, and, and pretty. Um, although I did find one thing I had to bring back to the drawing board is, like, the, the Cloud City skyline when they're, when they're uh, loading onto the dock. Um, oh, yeah. It just looks very corny. It looks like like the skyline of Metropolis in a Superman cartoon. Like it's very cheap. Yeah, no, it, that's I believe probably digitally enhanced in the in the re-release by George Lucas in the late '90s. Right. Uh, they they did a lot of updates on Cloud City to make it look more in line with the with what they were doing for the prequels. So uh, it definitely worked well in that regard. I think the big reason why I didn't like Cloud City or Bespin as much as maybe some of the other places is because of how much I loved Hoth and how much I love Yoda. And so mm. it was just, I guess maybe just my least favorite part of the movie, which I know is, is weird to, to think about, but besides like the parts that you don't even think of as being Bespin, like the, the, the battle itself between Luke and Vader uh, and the scene where they freeze Han. I mean, you, you almost forget that it's in Bespin. So that's really I the totally best. disagree. Like I, I, I find that it's so easy to split up Empire yeah. Strikes Back into those three different territories, and I find they just gel so well because they're all so different. I agree, but the main reason why, I don't, and I don't know why I find it so hard, is because I just... The, di the severe distinction between the area where Luke and Vader fight and where Han's frozen, and where Lando greets them, it's like they're just like not even the same place. Uh, right. I, I, I see it. There's a, kind of a divide there for me. Um, that's, I guess, maybe the only reason why it's never resonated that with, much with me, because we just don't see enough of the outside of it. Speaking of where Lando greets them, my Jedi Master question for you is, what Cloud City platform is the Falcon granted access to? 327. Oh my god, do you like <laughs> anticipate what my questions are going to be? Uh, partially, but that is one that's just, uh, 
a standard practice, good to know Star Wars trivia question. <laughs> Just because it's a number. Yeah, that one and like three thousand seven hundred and twenty to one. Um, my, I have everyone would know those. <laughs> well, no, you asked me that one like last week or something or two weeks ago, and you were like, <laughs> "How did you remember that?" I was like, "Well, same reason." Um, my, I have a knight and a master one for you here as well. So, what was okay. the one line from Boba Fett in this twenty? I believe the only thing he says is "As you wish." As you wish. That is correct. Good answer. So Vader uh, is kind of lecturing all of the the bounty hunters and basically saying, like, by all means, find me the Millennium Falcon. Like, do whatever it takes. The only catch is I want them alive. And then he specifically turns to Boba Fett and he says, that means no disintegrations. Mm. Um, Which you have said some people have speculated refers to the death of uh, the Larzas, which has been disproven. Uh, yes, correct. Just more loosely, the fact that he loves to blowtorch people, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that, that's where it comes from, is is the fact that uh, the the Lars homestead is so clearly just disintegrated and torched, and Boba Fett can often use a flamethrower, so I mean, there's, there's the opportunity with a jetpack in the flames, so th- there was the potential, uh, but that has been disproven. <laughs> <laughs> he actually uh, is very cool in this, and they do show him in the cockpit of Slave One for like the briefest second. Yeah, no, that was actually um, one thing I had as a take back for this 20 is how bad of a pilot Han would have to be to not notice Boba Fett right fucking behind him. <laughs> he <laughs> is we right. He's not. He is right behind him. He doesn't even pause for a second after he gets away from the garbage. I mean, he's just well, on his ass. And Slave One is not exactly a Honda Civic. Like, it looks kind of ridiculous. Yeah, no, it's definitely got the, like, gullwing doors. It's, it's an, it's an <laughs> odd-looking uh, an odd looking ship. Uh, well, I, finally master- got, I finally got one of your questions, thank God. Yeah, and you got my night-level question, too. That was pretty good. Um, I got the as-you-wish thing because I happen to love the Princess Bride. Well, that was the exact reason as to why I picked it. <laughs> because I was like, if you get this, that'll be awesome and appropriate. And if you don't, you're going to feel terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would have. Uh, what was the lizard species seen in the dark side cave on Dagobah? <laughs> I, d- I don't know. An iguana? Yeah, it was called a sleen. I'm, I'm just screwing with you. I'll give you an actually <laughs> the, my real master question. Uh, okay. and, this is, and this is still one that's very reasonable but also potentially not that easy uh name three of the bounty hunters seen in the bounty hunter scene i couldn't possibly no okay no i don't i don't even think any of them really looked familiar yeah so i knew three of them that's why i asked you to do three and i looked up the rest and so there's dengar he's the guy who looks like he's got a like a sock with a hole on it in it on his head yeah, uh, there's IG-88, which is uh, kind of the, I guess, the can-shaped head droid. Uh, he was right. one of the ones I knew. Boba Fett as I... well, obviously, and Bosk, who has a long history of working with or against Boba Fett. Uh, and then Forlom is the other droid. And then Zuckus is the one with the bug head. Zuckus. I know, it's a terrible name. <laughs> I recognize IG-88. Yeah. Yeah, no, Bosk is uh, Bosk is annoying as hell uh, from the Clone Wars. So. Do you have any other observations about this twenty? I mean, a lots a lots hitting the fan now. Um, not too many. Uh, I'm trying to look and see if there's any kind of lost quotes. There's a good one from Leia. You do have your moments, not many, but you have them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was, was nice. Yeah, that was good. She even gave him a little kiss after she said that. 
Yeah, he had a little bit of a smile as much as he could in there. <laughs> <laughs> he's a bit of a nerd in this clip, I find. Yeah, well, it, and that's the thing. He's he's like, I can't figure out. Like, I, I didn't do anything wrong. It's not my fault. <laughs> yeah, he says it's not my fault. He also says that's not fair when the it's Falcon's not malfunctioning. It's not my fault. <laughs> I didn't do it. It's not my fault. No, no, I he's think out, that's... He's out of his element. Yeah, I think actually that's it that I have for uh, for the 20. Okay, so what do we want to say before Solo, which this is going to come out on Thursday, which means we'll be like 36 hours away from seeing the movie because we bought our tickets. We're so excited. Yeah, we, uh, we have, uh, we've had some technical issues lately in the last little bit, so we haven't done news for a while. But right. when it comes to Solo, there's... Uh, there's a little bit out there in the news. No, Amelia Clark was on Jimmy Fallon, and she kind of alluded to the fact that she and the Han Solo character are buddies at the beginning, which we knew. And then she pretty much out and says, and then I disappear for a little while, and I come back, and I am different. Yeah, well, that seems to be what we've gotten from the trailers, is that she's with Dryden Voss in some capacity. She works for him. She's, um, I mean, potentially there's a romantic relationship there. We don't really know. Uh, but then there's also flashes that are so clearly when they're younger, when Han's driving in a speeder on Corellia, and he's got the gold dice hanging over the mirror, and Amelia Clark's in the passenger seat. And so that was clearly when they're younger. And so it's interesting to see, like, maybe when she'll be reintroduced. Like, maybe we get, like, the first 20 minutes, and it's kind of those two. And then it skips ahead a little bit, and it's as Han meets Woody Harrelson and uh, Tandy Newton and then Lando, and then maybe Amelia Clark gets introduced then. So maybe something like that happens again later on. So the gold dice that you just mentioned, the inclusion of those as a prop in The Last Jedi was strictly to service the coming Solo movie, right? Like, we had never really seen or heard of those before? No, no, no. So they were in uh, A New Hope. And oh. just like kind of hanging uh, at the top of the Falcon as well, uh, so they they've been around since the very beginning. Uh, wow. But yeah, and so that was something that was just like something that Luke brings back as kind of like a reminder from where they from where it all started for Leia, but also as something that um, clearly means a lot to Han that he hangs it in different places that he's like running the ship on and. Kylo, it was something that he was able to have kind of that emotional moment with. But yeah, it, it's it's used as a bit of a plot device to connect to Solo as well and as a refresher of this item. But I don't think necessarily that Ryan Johnson used it for anything other than he wanted to use it. And then they thought, oh, well, we're making the Solo movie. Let's find some consistencies here. Yeah, but, but you I, think that this little device that is connecting like everybody symbolically and is bringing all these insanely powerful emotions out of all of the biggest characters in Star Wars was inspired by Kira? No, 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 no. What I'm saying is I believe that it was brought back and kind of brought into light again from The Last Jedi and not from Solo. That's all I'm saying. No, I know, I understand. But what I'm saying is they're going to create an origin story for this little trinket that is Kira gave Han Solo these golden dice and they end up being like incredibly sentimental to every character in star wars oh no we don't know that i mean there's potential but we know that at the start of this movie or near the start of this movie han will have the dice and he knows kira because clearly they go way back but no it looks like han has the dice it's just that he places them like he places them on like the rearview mirror of the speeder that he's in and then he places them again in the falcon so i i no, i don't necessarily think it's going to be related to kira Give me like a really bold prediction for Solo. Something that you're willing to admit you do not think this will happen, but you know there's a 0.1 chance that it could happen. 
and it would be a stunner if it did. Oh, that's a really good question. Do you have one? Not really. No, I, I, I just know that you're much more schooled in some of the, in some of the anticipatory forums. Oh yeah. I mean, something that could be really cool would be as if we got a bounty hunter from like the Clone Wars. Like if we got Cad Bane. Now I don't know if you know who Cad Bane is, but uh, he's easily one of the coolest characters in Star Wars. Uh, he's this blue-faced. I don't even know quite what his species is, um, but he's this bounty hunter, and he's just a complete and utter badass. Uh, yeah. But I don't think the timelines work because I, I don't know. I don't know whether he's canon still alive. There was going to be an episode of the Clone Wars where Boba Fett was going to kill him, but they never aired that episode. So his kind of position canon-wise is, is up in the air as to whether he's dead or alive. He was, with Odado, one of the biggest fan favorites uh, introduced in the Clone Wars TV show. So if he came back, that would be insanely cool, but there's such, such a low possibility. Also, Hondo. Hondo, I friggin' love. He's this pirate <laughs> from the Clone Wars and Rebels. He's just this absolute charming, talks out his ass, lies to you, stabs you in the back, and then tells you you're his best friend to the face kind of character. Hondo is awesome. I would love it if Hondo made his way into this movie. Uh, so, he's most- a, so he's a sleazy scumbag, and his name is both Han and Lando? Oh my god, I've never in my life... Oh my god, I've not made that connection, Colin. Oh, you blew my mind right now. It's a little cheesy. Like, that must be an accident. Well, he's not He's not a human. I don't know quite what species he is. Um, just all the pirates look like him for some reason. <laughs> Whatever species they are. Um, what, is the, what is the over-under for seeing Boba Fett in this movie? Ah, uh, oof. Uh, well, what over-under do we want to go with? What would you say? Over-under, 20%. Um, Boba Fett in the movie. Oh, no, sorry, ten percent. Do you think there's a less than ten percent chance or a more than ten percent chance? No, I think there's a more than ten percent chance for sure. Oh, I think there's less. Really? Yeah, no, I would. I, th- I wouldn't put it that high. I think that they would love to get that fan service out there just to just to rid the world of their needing to be just this like nattering voice out there that says there should be a a Boba Fett origin story. Yeah, no, I know. I guess so. Um, it's I'm easy. Just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know when there would be a place to put it in. I mean, unless they're all going for the same bounty, but you know, you know, Jabba Hutt's in this movie. Well, we don't know for sure. It was said that there was a like. It seemed to be a leak, but then nothing really happened of that again. I, I, I still think we will see Jabba the Hutt, but uh, I don't know if that necessarily means Boba Fett will be in it. I don't. I don't think Boba Fett's going to be in the movie. Yeah, I, I don't think that this is uh, a popular idea, but there's a big part of me that wants the end, even if it's post-credits, which I know they haven't done before, wants the end to be Han and Chewie arriving in Mos Eisley. Yeah, no, that, you've mentioned this before, and I think that really could be cool. You have to do it in the right sort of way, um, but under the under certain circumstances, I could be okay with it. But it would have to be the sort of thing where it was, like you said, like not an after credit scene, but something where it's very clearly like a down the road. I don't want to see it like leading right up into that point, like where everything's happening right before. But if they just like the screen went black and you thought it was the end of the movie and then it came back for like another 10 second clip or 20 second clip leading into most likely, that would be super cool. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy's commented on some of the request and demand for a Lando standalone movie. Oh, yeah. 
And uh, you and I were discussing this a little bit. She basically said, look, there's no plan for that, but we don't want to close the door on it. Oh, yeah. She was also misquoted uh, by someone. I forget what the, uh, the, uh, I guess, uh, media outlet was that misquoted her. But she was was misquoted as to saying the Lando movie would be the next movie they were going to do. Oh, uh, no. and yeah, the next standalone. And so uh, she really had to kind of backpedal over the last little bit and be like, no, 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 not what I meant. Just a, just a little bit of miscommunication. You still think that's going to be a Kenobi movie? Uh, I think there's a decent chance. I mean, I, I, I want it to be the Kenobi movie. But at this point, I mean, we just have to friggin' know. Just tell us. <laughs> I mean, we're going to get whatever episode nine is in 2019. And in 2020, we're going to get some movie. So please tell us what that will be. It's pretty soon now. (laughs) Well, and I don't want to be influenced by the chat rooms. Like, I don't want to live in a world where the outragey, complainy Star Wars fan on the internet gets to decide what Lucasfilm does next. Because if they don't follow suit, they'll, they'll, they'll have a hissy fit. Because that is the way of the Star Wars fan. But oh. I just don't see I just don't see a risk in doing another Ewan McGregor Obi Wan movie. I think that is something universally cool. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't think it's a risk at all. It's one that, I mean, if it was bad, it would be ultimately not good for Star Wars. But it everybody's going to go in wanting it to be so damn amazing that I think it's going to be pretty hard for them to not have at least pretty decent reviews and then ultimately make an insane amount of money. So everybody right. should should end up really happy. And why would they not do that then? <laughs> you and McGregor makes a ton of money. They make a ton of money. The fans are happy. Literally, why not? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, I guess a couple other things in the news, because we haven't done news a ton lately. Uh, we do know that the John Favreau TV show will be taking place uh, seven years after the Battle of Yavin, so about three right. or so years after the Battle of Endor. So mm. that's cool. It'll be really interesting to kind of see the timeline in there. Uh, I know you and I were chatting a little bit, and I think I would love to see a third side of the law kind of uh, oh, yeah. vibe to this TV show, one with maybe bounty hunters, sort of the smuggling crowd like we have in Solo upcoming here. But I don't want to see kind of the both sides of it where you have like your empire and your rebellion or new, Rebu- new republic. I want to see kind of a, the gray side of the Star Wars universe in this TV show. Totally. And like exactly what is the underbelly that is going to erode at the peace that supposedly existed post Return of the Jedi? Because we are in, at least in that era, a totally unfamiliar political dynamic in the galaxy far, far away. And one that is kind of uh, a breeding ground for uh, more uh, undercover sleaziness. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I mean, there was the video game Star Wars 1313. And that was going to be about level 1313 of Coruscant, which was kind of the rough and tumbling, dark, and uh, the dingy where, like, the, I guess, the sleaziest and the most illegal things happened in the Star Wars universe. Um, yeah. And so that was good. That's a, that was a really cool concept for a game, and there's a lot of potential lore around that kind of underbelly culture. And I know Lucas was also playing a TV show around that same sort of underbelly of Coruscant. So I think if you kind of re- return to that similar model and make it a little bit later, making it in this in this new time era, I think it could be really cool. It's also a way to keep the budget in check a little bit because you don't necessarily need to have insane like space travel. Uh, it can be a lot of like more of a dialogue-driven Star Wars, but obviously needs to have a decent amount of action, of course. But yeah. one that can be a little bit more based on like characters and dialogue and 
insert like within planet action as opposed to like oh we're on Tatooine now we'll end up on Endor by the end of the day who knows so something like that all right, I think we'll call it there. Uh, we're going to go see Solo this weekend. When we come back next week, what do you think? Should we talk about Solo spoilers in the podcast? Ooh, that's a good question. It'll all be explained in the notes of the podcast. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> Best case scenario is everybody just goes to see the movie this weekend so we don't have a problem. Because assuming you're listening to this podcast, you're a big old Star Wars fan. Yeah, that would definitely be the ideal. And maybe, who knows, maybe we will go with full spoilers next week. It's to be determined. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to send feedback to Recorder 66, you can tweet us at Recorder 66, or you can email Recorder66podcast at gmail.com. Uh, also, if you're listening to us on iTunes, give us a little rate and review. Give us the max amount of stars, because that's how we slip into the into the charts, and other people will find the podcast, and that makes this more fun for everybody. And uh, enjoy your viewing of Solo. It's going to be a, it's going to be a fun ride, and I'm definitely looking forward to it. All right, man, you know what to say. All right. May the force be with you.